0: in light of my friend Chuck Ryer's passing um, it's, I just don't want to take any Sunday for granted uh, this might be last Sunday I get to preach who knows this was his last Sunday it was Easter Sunday and so I just want to uh, I'm just grateful for you guys and thankful that you're here to hear God's word and for us to celebrate Jesus Christ together to that end because man must not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God please take your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 50 through to chapter 14 verse 12. We're going to cover two stories today. The story of Jesus going back home to his hometown after having some success and public popularity elsewhere, going back home to teach. The famous teacher is coming home. And then we learn about John the Baptist's cousin and his fate. So let's hear God's word as we meditate on, or as we read Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verses 53 to 14, 12. If you're a guest here, if you're not a Christian, maybe this is your first time looking at a Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. So when I say 13 verse 53, 53 is the small number, that's the verse numbers. And so they're roughly about a sentence per verse, not exactly, but it just takes us through the story of Jesus. So hear God's word from Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, since John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd, since they regarded John as a prophet. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, "'Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter.'" Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, take these words now and hide them in our hearts that we would not sin against you. We pray that you would give us wisdom and insight here into your word. We ask for grace to help us. Apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. So help us to abide in you, Lord Jesus, and we pray that your words would abide in us, that we would bear fruit. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word. We pray that you would challenge us in specific ways to individuals here with specific fears, hesitations, and excuses we have about following Jesus. We pray that you would expose for our non-Christian friends who are here, thoughts, and reasons why they will not trust in Jesus. And then, Father, we pray for us as a church family that you would make us bold and that you'd speak a powerful and specific particular word this Sunday morning from this text that would shape our church family in this season of our lives and with these circumstances that are around us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do people reject Jesus Christ? Why do people reject the gospel? Why would people choose to not believe in Jesus? Tim Keller helpfully gives three categories of reasons why people reject Jesus. Okay, here are three reasons why. Here are the three categories of why people reject Jesus. Number one is content. They don't understand what the gospel is. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know the content of the gospel. So they reject the gospel because they don't know it. That's why some people reject the gospel. But there's two other reasons for those who do know the gospel. The second category is coherence. I understand the gospel, but it doesn't cohere with my view about evolution. Or my view about LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community and their desires. Or I don't believe, I understand the gospel, but it doesn't cohere with my view of um, yeah, science. Philosophy or the fact that there are many religions in the world. A third reason why people would not believe in Jesus and trust in Him with their lives is because of the cost. So you have the content, the coherence, and then the cost. The cost is, I understand the gospel, I understand it makes sense, I think it's probably true, but I don't want to give up my sexually immoral relationship. Or I don't want to give up my... My power, my influence, my greed, my ambition for money, or whatever the case. My love for my family. And if I became a Christian, I would lose them. And therefore, I can't trust Jesus. It costs too much. It's probably true, it just costs too much. Does that make sense? Three categories of why people reject Jesus. Content, coherence, and cost. Now for this idea of coherence, Some people might say, Christianity can't be true because, I'll just give you a few, because there can't be just one true and right way to God. There are too many religions. Or, Christianity can't be true because the Bible is unreliable and you can't take it literally. Or, Christianity can't be true because there is suffering and evil in this world, and how can a good and powerful God allow suffering and horrific evil and injustice in this world? Or, Jesus can't be true because there are many hypocrites in the church who say they follow Jesus. And the church itself is responsible for much injustice. Or Christianity is a straitjacket on personal and social freedom. I don't want to be bound by these things. I want to be free. We're made to be free. Not bound by an old book and outdated ethics. Or science has disproved Christianity. Or a loving God can't send people to hell. or or judge his own son on the cross. What kind of God is that? So are some reasons why people might think Christianity can't be true. It doesn't cohere. Now, we as Christians are commissioned by Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's everywhere, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple all ethnic people groups. There's the call. Go, Go therefore and disciple all nations. That's your call. And you are called and commissioned as a Christian by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And you have people who will reject the gospel. Christianity can't be true. It isn't true. Jesus is not worth it. So Jesus calls us to go and disciple in a world that isn't ready or desiring or wanting to believe in Jesus. And all of us as disciples as disciple-making disciples, all of us disciple with a set of expectations of what life would look like as a Christian commissioned by Jesus. I wonder what your expectations are. What do you think it means to be a Christian today? When we are not properly prepared for the reality of what it really means to be a Christian today, we, we can easily, more easily, get disillusioned and discouraged when we bump up against difficulties and obstacles and challenges. We can get discouraged and disillusioned to the point of actually failing to carry out our commission of discipling. Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, or teachers, I should say, points to this in the marriage arena with with a title of one of his books called, it's a marriage book, and it's called, What Did You Expect? Married couples laugh. What did you expect when you got married? It's a, it's a sobering reality for those who are pursuing marriage, those who are engaged. And then there's a wedding. so because you, you start with dating, I guess. <laughs> then engagement. Then, then there's the wedding. And then there's the struggle. And then there's the disappointment. What did you expect when two sinners get married? As another book title says, what do you expect when, when sinners say I do? When you don't know what to expect you face challenge, and, and then you face challenges, you might quit. So Jesus says to us when you become a disciple, count the cost. Know what to expect. If you don't, you'll be useless or you'll be a discouraged discipler. And Matthew sets us up for this, the lesson of our passage today in other passages. So listen to Matthew chapter 5. You could turn there if you want, just a few pages back. Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what Jesus says here. This is what you should expect. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Great, I want to be a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted when you try to make peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You know what you should do when people persecute you and oppose you? Look at verse 12. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're going to get persecuted. You're going to get opposition. Remember the parable of the sower a few weeks ago in Matthew 13 verses 1 through 23. In verse 21, when the seed of God's word is sowed among some of the soil, it springs up and they receive the word with joy. But what happens to the seed that's in the sun? When persecution and difficulty in life beats down on them, the word pops out. The seed is choked out and the plant dies. Because they're not really Christian. They're not prepared or actually trusting Jesus in the difficulties and the opposition of being a Christian. As opposed to the seed that falls on good soil that bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold in the midst of persecution and trials. And in Matthew 13, 52, what we learned last week is that if you are a disciple of the kingdom, we have treasures to bring out from the storehouse, right? What kind of treasures? New and old, right? We bring out the treasures that Christ is king. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is unstoppable. It's expanding. It's maturing. It's permeating. It's valuable. It's captivating. It's discriminating. It's moving. I was, in my prayer time this morning, I was just thinking, the kingdom is advancing more this week than it was last week. It just keeps going. It keeps advancing. It's unstoppable. And we get to bring out these treasures to people that they might enter into the kingdom by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. What a, what a privilege. What a treasure. What an opportunity. And so last week, my feeling from the text was confidence and encouragement that these things were happening. And this week, Jesus wants to give you a reality check. What do you expect when you bring out from the storeroom of your heart treasures new and old to non-Christians? What do you expect? Here's the main goal. Here's what you should expect. Expect rejection. Expect rejection. And disciple people toward Jesus anyway. Expect rejection and disciple your neighbors toward Jesus anyway. Expect rejection and disciple fellow members toward Jesus anyway. Expect rejection and go to the nations and the unreached ethnic people groups of the world who haven't heard the gospel and expect rejection and go there anyway and disciple people toward Jesus. Why should we accept this future rejection? Why should we expect it? Three reasons from this passage. Reason number one, Jesus was rejected. Reason number two, Jesus was misunderstood. Reason number three, Jesus' messengers were misunderstood and rejected. I, I put that in the past tense. You can put it in the future tense as well. Why should you expect rejection and disciple people anyway? Because Jesus will be Rejected. Jesus will be misunderstood, and Jesus' messengers will be rejected and misunderstood. So expect it and do it anyway. Let's look at these one at a time. First, in verses 53 through 58 of chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, Jesus was rejected, and Jesus will be rejected. I read the story for you. Jesus displayed miraculous power there among the people in his hometown. It says in verse 54, he goes back to his hometown. He teaches them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? He's showing that. And then they reason to themselves in verses 55 and 56 we know this guy. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Now, Nazareth was probably a town of 500 to no more than 1,000 people, probably. It's a small village. It's like a big church. So think of this church times five or eight. That's how big the town was. We see people grow up. I mean, and people stay there. They live there. They die there. You see them. You know their parents, their grandparents. You know their history. You've seen them grow up. They've seen Jesus grow up. Their kids played with him when they were growing up. Some of them are his peers in school. And so here comes Jesus with with this reputation of miraculous powers, and he's doing some miracles, and he's teaching with wisdom that is profound and unprecedented. And so as they as they hear him, where did he get it? He he went to school with us. He was trained as a carpenter, as a builder, as a stonemason. He's a builder. And he's teaching with more profound wisdom than our synagogue teachers, our rabbis. Where did he get this from? Don't And it, con- it continues, they start to reason more. Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? Didn't some of them marry some of our people? Aren't they here? So where does he get all these things? That's their question. Side note here, James and Judas is the author of the book of James and the book of Jude. So eventually they would become Christians and write books of the Bible. But here, they're not not at that point just yet. So they're asking, where does he get these things? So I want you to follow their logical syllogism here. here. Here are the two premises. Premise one, Jesus is now wise. Our homeboy Jesus, who grew up with us, He's now wise and he could do some miracles. Premise one. Premise two, we know him. We grew up with him. We know his parents. We know his job. We know his training. We know his family. Conclusion, he's not as remarkable as he looks right now. We know the real Jesus. He's not as noteworthy as we think he is. He's not worth us following. In other words, look at verse 57. Here's our conclusion. Well, their their, their question is therefore, where does he get all these things? Answer: They were offended by him. They were put off by him. They were stumbled by him. They rejected him. They dismissed him. They wrote him off. Now, that's not really logical. You're actually canceling premise one that he's doing miraculous signs, and he's teaching with profound wisdom. You see that, but because you know where he comes from, and because you grew up with him, and because you know his background. Those two are the premises that should lead to a conclusion that coheres with both of them. But their second premise just kind of erases the first premise, ignores it, minimizes the fact that he's teaching with obvious wisdom and demonstrable miraculous power. But they just dismiss it. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. They write him off. And is Jesus surprised by this? Look at verse 57. Is he surprised by this? Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. In other words, prophets get honor. They're not without honor. They get honor. Except where? Except where? In his what? In his hometown and with his own household, with his family. Because familiarity breeds what? Contempt, right? Now, I know the real Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was remembering one of my friends who even back in my high school days i wouldn't have done this but i remember when i was in college he was talking to um another one of our friends from church and saying oh you know pj yeah he's like now that we're in college i'm gonna go get him to to um to go with me to like an adult a a strip club and he was telling that to one of our church members and they're saying like yeah pj why would they say that i was like I don't, he was my best friend since fourth grade. Like, we've known each other. We've been through all kinds of things. together. Yeah, he's not a Christian. I shared the gospel with him hundreds of times. I was like, I don't know why he would even think I would do that. I mean, he knows me. But he, he, he was almost saying, no, but I know the real PJ. You guys don't know him. And I was just thinking, what are you talking about, dude? But there was, there was like this, because we've known each other since, since childhood, and he was my best friend growing up, he just thought he knew me better than other people and just kind of wrote off my own Christian growth and what God was doing in my life. Because we know people growing up, sometimes we can't see their growth. And when they break out with giftedness and, remark- and some remarkable thing about them, because we know them, we're like, oh no, I know the real person. He's not really as remarkable as you think he is. And we, we're more prone to dismiss them. And so Jesus was not surprised. And so look at what did Jesus respond in verse 58. We, we see here that Jesus is prevented from doing more miracles. He did not do miracles there. Why? Because of their unbelief. They didn't believe in him, so he didn't do miracles there. Now, it's not say, now it says because. So what is the cause of Jesus not doing miracles there? Their unbelief. You know what? Mark says it a little bit stronger in Mark chapter 6. He says Jesus was not able to do miracles there. That sounds too strong for me as a... Christian theologian: Jesus not able to do miracles? That's ridiculous. Next week, we're going to learn how He feeds 5,000 people and walks on water. and it even enables Peter to walk on water. What do you mean Jesus was not able? It's not that, let me explain this for a second, when it says Jesus was not able or Jesus did not do miracles because of their unbelief, it's not saying that he has no power here or that God is not sovereign or that he's not God. That's not what it means when it says that Jesus um, did not do it because of unbelief or to use Mark's words, that Jesus was not able to do miracles there. It's not that he's not able in an ontological sense in terms of his ability. It's that he cannot do miracles there at this point without becoming a sideshow and getting off of his mission. Like when, when do you remember when Satan had, pe- had Jesus look at all those stones in the wilderness and tempted him? What did he say to Jesus? Turn those stones to what? To bread, right? Now, could Jesus turn stones to bread? Yes or no? Can Jesus multiply from five fish and two, or five, five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000? Can he do that? Yes or no? Yes. But when he would, when he would have done that with Satan, he would have sinned. That was a temptation to sin. But Jesus makes water into wine. That was my devotions this morning. I was reading John 2 for my devotions. He turns water into wine. That's not a sin. He feeds 5,000 out of five five loaves of bread. That's not a sin. Why is it a sin to turn stone to bread? It wasn't because that act in itself. He could not do that act without carrying out his mission of being the Messiah and trusting and depending on God's leadership and the Spirit to lead him on his mission. Does that make sense? So he can't turn the stones into bread in that temptation without giving into the temptation and sinning. In that sense, he cannot turn the stones into bread. So in other words, when God has a certain operation that he wants Jesus to carry out, if Jesus goes against that operation, he would be sinning. So he can't turn stones into bread when Satan tempts him to, and he cannot do more miracles here to people who have already decided to dismiss him. He would just become a sideshow, doing miracles for fun, like like some clown or some circus act on the side. And so he would not do miracles there. He did not do miracles there. He could not do miracles there in the way that God wanted Jesus to operate. And that's typical in how God operates. So God first comes with grace, not based on our faith. God interrupts our lives with grace. But then we have an opportunity from that initial grace, we have an opportunity now to respond to that grace. And if we reject Jesus in unbelief, we reject Jesus in arrogant unbelief. And if we reject jesus in arrogant unbelief we reject jesus in pride and what does god do to the proud god resists the proud but gives what grace to what to the humble god's, or god's normal mo is to resist pride when you write off god and you write jesus off in dismissal god's normal response in judgment is to resist you in your arrogance, in your resistance. And so here, as they resist Jesus and dismiss Jesus, God resists them. And Jesus is unable to do miracles there because of their unbelief. Now, praise God that he still chooses at times to overcome our unbelief. Actually, every time you 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 overcome unbelief, it's by God's grace. And God does that in our lives. But God is not a sideshow where he just continues to do miracles for your entertainment. John 1.11 says, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. So here's some application from this first point. Don't reject Jesus. Okay, pretty simple. Don't reject Jesus. They rejected Jesus. They dismissed Jesus. And I'm calling you, if you're listening today, do not reject who Jesus is. Listen to John 3.16 to 18. You know John 3.16, many of you do. You might not know 17 and 18 as as well. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are already condemned. So I plead with you to not reject Jesus the way his hometown did and the way his household did. Secondly, if I just read on in John 3, I'm already in John 3, I'm just going to read on in verses 19 and 21. I want to say this to Christians. Don't be surprised that people reject Jesus. Don't be surprised. I'm just going to read on in John 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Why do people reject Jesus as the light? Because they love what? Darkness. Don't be surprised that Jesus is rejected. People love darkness rather than light, and Jesus is light. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, thank you for coming. We're glad that you're here. We're grateful for you being here. I want to ask you a question. Why are you specifically not ready to trust in Jesus today? Why are you right now today not ready to trust in Jesus? Specifically, what is your specific reason for it? I encourage you to identify As specifically as possible, why you don't trust him. Say it out loud. Write it down. I don't trust Jesus with my life because, and then fill in the blank. It will help you put your reason right in front of you for you to think about it even clearer. Then you can examine whether that reason is valid or not. So please, I plead with you to think it through. Okay, so the main goal here is to expect rejection and disciple people towards Jesus anyways. Why should we expect rejection? Number one, because Jesus will be rejected. Number two, because Jesus will be misunderstood. Look at chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it says this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. So he heard about Jesus' miracles. And so, what's his conclusion? So, we had earlier the hometown conclusion was, ah, he's not special. Now, what's Herod's conclusion? Verse 2. I know how Jesus is doing this. This is who? This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. And that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. That's the explanation. And so he misunderstands who Jesus is. He understands Jesus to be John the Baptist. What have been some of the craziest conspiracy theories you've heard? Let me read to you one conspiracy theory that I found uh, recently here online. The moon... Does not exist. The moon does not exist. I'll just read the, the page here. We're we're not really sure why this theory where this theory came from, but it's pretty wild considering, you know, that the moon is right there if you just look up. Some people, like Dave Marsh, who is also a flat earther, says the moon is a projection. He says, quote, the moon is a projection, put there for a reason which we could study for a thousand more years and never understand, Marsh told The Guardian. That's a newspaper. To arrive at this conclusion, Marsh followed the path of the moon in the sky in order to compare his findings to official records. Because his findings were not the same, Marsh determined that the moon was a scam. Oh, and the moon is also a hoax because it it was created to distract the general masses from the existence of Nibiru, a rogue planet that will cause the apocalypse. Some people believe that, that the moon does not exist. And here, King Herod thinks Antipas, or King, King Herod Antipas, gives his conspiracy theory. I know why Jesus does these miracles. He is John the Baptist raised from the dead. John, the one I murdered just a few months ago, maybe a year ago at most. John, the one I murdered a year ago, is now in Jesus and I'm thinking, what? What are you talking about, dude? What do you mean? Jesus is 32 years old. You killed John months ago. How is, how is that John? How does that even make sense? Maybe the spirit of John the Baptist went on him. If you could get a little bit biblical with Luke 2, the spirit of Elijah on John the Baptist, maybe the spirit of John on Jesus. That's probably my best guess. It just, it does, like, the more I think about it, it doesn't really make any sense that Herod would believe that John the Baptist has been resurrected in Jesus, and that's the power that's doing the miracles. I mean, John the Baptist didn't even do miracles. He had John in prison. John's not doing any miracles. and, you, and But because he's a prophet, maybe, you know, it's, at the end of the day, what's the best explanation for Herod's thinking? If, if the hometown explanation is irrational for who Jesus is, Herod's explanation is superstitious. Superstitious. John is a holy man. He's a prophet. And in that superstition, John has been resurrected in Jesus. Now superstition is not limited to King Herod. It can be done in the name of science. For example, a few, I think last month or two months ago, uh, maybe two or three months ago, I was engaging a non-Christian with the gospel and she didn't believe, when we were talking about the gospel, she said, I don't believe that God created the world and that all humans came from Adam and Eve. She said, I like to think more scientifically about this. I said, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. So how did all these humans get here? She thought about it. for a Huh, that's a good question. She said, didn't we come from a fish? And the evolutionary process? I was like, okay, so it's not scientific to think that from Adam and Eve having babies and having babies and having babies, humans are here. It's more scientific to think that we came from a fish. And she's like, yeah, because of evolution. So so you're saying it's more scientific that humans came from a fish than humans coming from one man and one woman having babies. If you reject the truth of the Bible, you don't believe in nothing. You'll believe anything. If you reject Jesus, who is the truth, you don't believe nothing, you'll believe anything. So here Jesus is misunderstood as John the Baptist. He's dismissed. And so the truth is misunderstood and dismissed. So what does this mean for us? It means that we need to not misunderstand who Jesus is. You need to understand who Jesus is. He is not John the Baptist. He is not merely a Jewish man. If you go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, as God has given us just a little bit of freedom from the wind, just for a moment for me to turn here peacefully. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, it says this. The account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, here is who he is, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the promised seed of Abraham. He's the promised descendant of King David, the king of Israel, the one who would bring in the kingdom of God. So don't misunderstand who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the king of Israel. He's the son of Abraham. He's the seed of Abraham. Not only that, Matthew one twenty one. the angel says to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Because He will save His people from their sins. That's who Jesus is. The King of Israel, the King of God's kingdom, the promised seed of blessing to bring blessing to all the nations, who will save His people from their sins. And you're a sinner. And Jesus can save you because He is truly God and truly man. So understand who Jesus is, what He's doing what he's done and what he's doing even now. If you're not a Christian, you need most especially to understand who Jesus is. You need to understand the gospel. You need to not only understand who Jesus is and what the gospel is, you need to believe in Jesus and the gospel. So here's the gospel. Jesus is, to not misunderstand Jesus, Jesus is the creator, Jesus is the judge, Jesus is the savior, and Jesus is Lord, okay? If you're not a Christian, please understand this and you can forget everything else I'm saying. Jesus is the creator. Jesus created you. God the Son, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created us. He created all this whole world, everything we see here, the sunlight, the clouds, the wind, the birds that are chirping, you, the people around you. Jesus is the creator. All things were created through him and for him. And apart from him was not one thing that has been created, not one thing was created that has been created. That's what the Bible says. Jesus created you. Secondly, Jesus is your judge. It says in in Acts 17 that Jesus will judge the world in the end. Because he's our creator, we are accountable to him as the judge. And if you reject Jesus as your creator, and you reject Jesus for who he is, you are accountable to him, and in the end he will judge us. And because we are sinners, we have rebelled against Jesus. We have rebelled against our creator by our own nature and by our own choice. We are sinners by what we choose. Our sin is so deep, there's something so messed up in us. We are so messed up in our selfishness, in our self-centeredness and in our pride and our arrogance and our excuse-making and in our self-righteous condescendingly looking down on other people, we are so sinful that we deserve to be damned and condemned by Jesus the judge for our sins. And he is not only the judge, he is the executor. He will execute that judgment in sinners, in hell, forever and ever and ever. Jesus is the judge. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus is also the Savior. His name is Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, and that's his name, Jesus, the God-man. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to earth and lived in obedience to God, perfectly obeying the whole law. He took on human punishment for our sin as the God-man died on the cross for sinners and rose from the dead. Defeating Satan, sin, and death. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. But He's not the Savior of all sinners. He's the Savior of sinners who believe. Because Jesus is Lord. And so you need to trust that Jesus is your Lord and treasure, that He is your King and He is your Lord. So turn from your sins. Repent from your sins. Repent from your selfishness. Repent from your goodness, your self accomplishments and trust in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins, trust in Jesus as creator and judge and savior and Lord, and God will save you, Jesus will save you. Don't misunderstand who Jesus is. And even more importantly, don't disbelieve in who Jesus is. Trust in Jesus today. So expect rejection is the main goal of this passage. Expect rejection and disciple people towards Jesus anyways. Why should you expect rejection? Because Jesus was rejected and mis- was rejected and will be rejected. Jesus was misunderstood and will continue to be misunderstood. And lastly, Jesus' messengers were rejected and will continue to be rejected. This is in verses 3 through 12. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize the story. You can read it. I did read it to you already. You can read and follow along. I'll be referring to verses along the way. So Herod, so, so now Matthew gives us a flashback. Herod misunderstands Jesus, and Matthew takes this opportunity now to give us a flashback to why Herod would think John was raised from the dead. It's because Je- John died. And why did John die? Because Herod killed him. And why did Herod kill him? Well, that's the story here of Matthew 14, verses 3 through 12. So Herod broke God's law by taking his brother Philip's wife, his half-brother, So so Herod broke God's law and committed sexual immorality by taking another man's wife, his half-brother's wife, to be his. And so John continually, not once, this is important for us who speak truth in love. If we speak up for truth and righteousness and justice and the gospel in this world, you need to do it more than once. John, it says here in verse 4, John had been telling him. You could read, if you want to bring out the aspect of that word, had been telling him, John had been continually telling him, regularly. John had been repeatedly saying, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. One application there for me with social media today was to continually repeat certain things or posts online to just keep repeating truths, even if it annoys people, not to annoy them, but to help them see the truth and repent and trust in Jesus. But here it is. John kept speaking the truth in love, not just once. Herod rejected it, but they arrested Herod, put him in, put. I'm mean, arrested John, put John in prison. But Herod wanted to kill John, but he didn't want to kill John because he was scared of, of whom? The crowds, because the crowds thought John was a prophet and he doesn't want to get in, in trouble with the crowds. So Herod, who's really like not really a king, he's more like a mayor of like Southeast Los Angeles, like a mayor of a section of the country, not even over the whole country. So John, Herod puts John in prison. He's celebrating his birthday celebration with his guests. He's drinking, probably gets drunk, and in his drunkenness, um, they want entertainment. So Herodias, his his uh, lover's daughter, Herodias, Herodias' daughter, comes out and dances. So she's a teenager, maybe anywhere from 14, 13, 14 to 17 years old. She comes out and dances, most likely provocatively and modestly. Um, for, the, for the guests there at the party. Herod is pleased with her dancing and pleased that she entertained his guests. So in his drunken irrationality, he rashly promises, tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. As if he's this great king. He's a mayor, right? He's, he's talking like he's this great emperor, you know, like the emperors of old in like Esther's day or, you know, where, where just just tell me what you want. I'll give you whatever you want. I'm really the, the, really the human king of the world, so to speak. But he's this little mayor acting like he's this big, big deal. Tell me whatever you want. I'll give it to you. So she goes to her mom and says, Mom, what do you want? Now, Herodias, the mom, she, it says in Mark 6, 19, she held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. She just didn't know how. So she was bitter towards John. She resented John for what he was saying, continually pointing out their sexual immorality. She wanted to be with Herod. And so in her bitterness, she tells her her daughter, tell Herod, you want John's head on a platter. So she goes and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, and Herod hesitates. He's thinking, oh man, he's regretting what's going on. He thinks about it. He looks at his guests. Herod is just such a weasel, such a coward. He, he's, he's scared of the crowd, so he can't kill John himself. Now he can't say no to his daughter because he's scared of his guests. So he says yes, regrettably. He has, um, he has uh, Herod's, or John's head cut off and brought on a platter. They report to Jesus. The disciples take the body, bury the body, and Jesus hears about it because Jesus and John's ministries are connected. What do we learn from this story? We learn that God's messengers who bring God's message will be rejected. John was murdered because of the weakness of King Herod. Herod feared the crowds and he wanted to kill John. He feared his guests, so he made a rash vow. when he made a rash vow, he had to keep it. Herod is an unstable, weak, cowardly weasel. He's a wimp who has power. As one person has written, like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. Like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. And then you have Herodias. So John is the victim of Herod, the weak, cowardly man. John is also a victim of Herodias, the bitter, vengeful, manipulative woman and adulteress who's out to kill John. John is also the victim of Herodias' daughter, a young woman willing to flaunt her body out of compliance to those in power and to or just to please her mom is it wrong to honor your mom yes or no is it wrong to obey your mom yes or no no unless she's telling you to disobey god and dishonor god so here's john the victim of 3 sinners conspiring or coordinating together john is rejected john is opposed John is killed. Why? Because of cowardice, fear of man, rash promises, bitterness, resentment, and sinful compliance to a mom. John was faithful, and he was rejected for being faithful. John was rejected for confronting sin and preaching preaching repentance from that sin and faith in the Messiah. Will you still be faithful? in courageously discipling other people will you courageously disciple people in the face of rejection John did Abel was killed by Cain for faithfully worshiping God will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection Moses was opposed by the Israelites several times over will you courageously disciple people in the face of rejection Joshua and Caleb testified that we should take over the land and the ten spies thought, no, we shouldn't. They're too big. And then they wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. Will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection? Samuel was rejected when the people clamored for a king. Will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection? David was on the run from Israel twice from King Saul and the Israelites, and then from his own son, Absalom and the Israelites. He was rejected as king. Will you courageously disciple for Jesus Christ in the face of rejection? Elijah was persecuted and threatened. Ross will preach on that tonight. Will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection? Jeremiah was ignored and dismissed and thrown into a cistern to die there. He was punched in the face. He was kidnapped and taken in custody to Egypt because he faithfully discipled people. Will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection? Peter and John were thrown into prison. According to tradition, John was eventually exiled to the island of Patmos. And not just tradition, according to Revelation. And Peter was hung upside down, crucified upside down. Will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection? Stephen was stoned to death, executed for testifying of Jesus as the Messiah. Will you courageously disciple in the face of rejection? Paul was arrested and eventually executed and beheaded because he discipled. Will you faithfully disciple and courageously disciple in the face of rejection? Jesus said there would be weeds and wheat, right? in this world until the kingdom is fully mature don't uproot the weeds yet there will be weeds and wheat and who are the weeds? the children of the evil one and who are the wheat? the children of the kingdom didn't God say when he threatened Satan in the garden of Eden that there will be the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and that there will be hostility between them children of the kingdom children of the evil one seed of the woman seed of the serpent there will be hostility rejection rejection Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you love your neighbor as yourself and speak the truth in that love. Christian, BBC church member, expect to be rejected. Expect to to be rejected. Go to Matthew 10. Christian, you need to expect to be rejected. Let me just drive home the point. Not with further exposition here on this, but let me just read Jesus' words. Turn there with me, if you would, to Matthew 10, verse 16. I just want you to hear Jesus talk to you right now. Here's here's what Jesus is saying to you. Matthew 10, beginning of verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out, out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them. Because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you will you are to speak. For you will be given what to say in that hour. Because it isn't speaking, it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child children will rise up against parents and have them put to death you will be hated by everyone because of my name but the one who endures to the end will be saved when they persecute you in one town flee to another for truly i tell you you will not have gone through the towns of israel before the son of man comes a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master it is enough For a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword For I came to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Expect rejection and disciple people toward Jesus anyway. Encourage and accompany one another in courageous discipling. Brothers and sisters, church family, if you're not a member of a church, join a church. And then go with your church. Encourage each other in your church and accompany each other in discipling your neighbor's Come on Sunday night at 5 p.m. If you feel weak and you feel like you lack courage, you're not alone. There's a lot of discouraged Christians who feel fearful. Come on Sunday night at 5 p.m. and hear stories about people sharing the gospel in our church. Come and pray and share your fears that we might pray together and pray for opportunities to gospelize in courage in the face of rejection this week. So come tonight at 5 o'clock. If you're discouraged and weak and struggling, I get it, and I have good news for you. Here's the good news. Jesus was rejected for our sinful fear of being rejected. For every time we sinfully excused ourselves from courageously discipling, for every time that we sinfully hesitated or procrastinated in speaking up for Jesus, for every time we chose safety and peace, and I say peace in quotations because it's fake peace, every time we've chosen peace over loving risk and hope, we deserve to be rejected By God and judge for our sin. That's what Jesus just said here. If you don't acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Jesus never sinfully cowered or compromised in the face of humans rejecting him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, he was devalued. But he continued to courageously disciple anyway. He alone was finally and fully faithful. Truly faithful. But the prophet tells us he was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And Yahweh has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Praise God that Jesus died for our fear, our lack of courage, our excuses, our procrastination, our cowardice, our hesitation, our avoidance. Praise God that Christ died for our sins. But he did not only die for our sins, he died for our growth. He died for us to have power. He died for us to have the Holy Spirit so that we would have power to faithfully and boldly gospelize and disciple others in the face of rejection. So expect rejection and disciple toward people toward, people toward Jesus anyways. Expect to, rege- to be rejected because Jesus was rejected and misunderstood. Expect to, re- to be rejected because Jesus' messengers have always been rejected. If I could give you one thing to do, here it is. Take a risk and decisively engage a neighbor this week with gospel intentionality. Take a risk this week and decisively engage a neighbor with gospel intentionality. Identify a person by name, ask some here, our church members to pray for you, and then take that step and expect some rejection sometimes. Hopefully not this time, but maybe, but disciple people anyway. If you really dwell on this expectation and you could really settle the fact that you can and will be rejected and even die for Christ, then you have nothing else to fear, right? I mean, if you expect rejection and you expect to die for Jesus, then you have nothing else to fear. If you're willing to lose it all and all they can do is take all that you have except Jesus, then you really have nothing to fear and you're free from the tyranny of having to be successful or accepted by other people. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want freedom from fear, debilitating fear. That causes me to hesitate in sharing Jesus. So I have good news for you. God the Father accepts you because he accepted Jesus for you. He accepts Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So you're accepted by God. You don't need to be accepted by people. You don't need people to approve you because God approves you. God has given you a spirit to speak to others whether you're received or rejected. And if we grasp this, we don't have to make excuses for not speaking. And guess what? We'll get rejected more and more. But you know what? A lot more people are going to hear the gospel. A lot more people will think about Jesus. And faith comes by hearing hearing the word about Christ. And because faith comes by hearing, more people by God's plan and power, and through us, more people will be saved. This... Applying this passage really has the potential to change the frequency of our evangelism as a church. How frequent do we evangelize as a church to our neighbors? If we understand this text and really expect rejection, this passage has power to cause our frequency of evangelism to grow exponentially. When you're not scared to be rejected, you're free to speak. And when you're free to speak, people will hear. So I pray for myself and our church family to not be scared of rejection, but to expect it and love Jesus and love people too much to let our self-centered self-preservation hinder us from caring about the eternal destinies that God, of those that God has sent us to reach in Los Angeles and to the unreached, engaged and unengaged ethnic people groups of the world. We ought to die for Christ here and abroad. So I ask you again what I asked you in the beginning. What did you expect when you became a disciple Of a crucified Messiah. What did you expect. When you decided to follow a Messiah. Who was rejected and despised by men. What should you expect. Expect suffering. Expect rejection. And expect grace. And growth. As God's kingdom continues to expand. In you. And through you. In the world. And to this generation. And the places he's called us. Father in heaven, help us. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief when we don't believe that you're better and that you are our security, so that they can kill us. They can reject us. They can write us off. They can fire us from our job. They can take our reputation. They can imprison us. They can give us the cold shoulder and cut off the friendship. And make it awkward at, at parties, for work, and in the family. Help us to know that they can do that and you'll still be more than enough for us. And we ought to disciple anyway. Forgive us, Lord, for our fear. And our excuses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. take a moment now Uh, what we typically do here on Sundays is we share with those around us uh, something one of the things God spoke to you when God's word is faithfully preached God's voice is truly heard and so I want you to share with others what you think God spoke to you from whatever was faithfully preached from the passage today share that with someone around you and then take a moment to to switch if you're a guest here for the first time you don't have to share you could just listen in introduce yourself and listen in on a conversation but members I want you to look around for someone to share with okay Especially look for those who don't have anyone to share with. I'll give you guys four minutes now. Thank mm-hmm. you.